Let's open up the inspired word of God to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read the entirety of the chapter now, and the text for the sermon is the first two verses of the chapter. Hebrews 12, this is the word of God. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening... God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more 
for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Thus far we read the word of God. Let's turn to the first two verses of the chapter, and that's our text. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, our text this morning, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, is the grand conclusion to Hebrews chapter 11. That's indicated by the word wherefore, a connecting word, links us back to Hebrews 11, and our text is the conclusion of Hebrews 11. You children are probably, most of you, quite familiar with the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Maybe some of you or all of you have memorized the chapter, chapter or parts of it. You're very well familiar with it. By faith, by faith, by faith. That's the phrase that you see repeated in the chapter, isn't it? What you have here in the 11th chapter, are Old Testament saints like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so on. 
Old Testament saints who lived their lives by faith. They clung to the promises of God, though they did not in their life on earth yet see the fulfillment of those promises. And now Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, draws a conclusion to that whole chapter. And it does it in a striking way. Your Christian life is compared to running a race. We have a metaphor here. And it is as if these Old Testament saints we read of in chapter 11 are dotted all around us as seated in a stadium. And here we are inside the stadium running on the track the race of the Christian life, and we see these Old Testament saints and we are cheered and encouraged by the witness, by the example, the testimony that they have left behind. That's what this text is about, running the race. We sure need encouragement in that, don't we? And that's what these two verses are about as well. Those to whom the book of Hebrews was written, these people, these Christians, they needed encouragement as well. Just to give you a little bit of historical context, these people were being persecuted, and in the midst of their persecution, they were being tempted to revert back to Judaism to go back to that whole bondage of works righteousness. And so he writes to these Christians, the writer to the Hebrews does, and he encourages them, and he exhorts them, keep on running the race that's been set before you. Those people needed that word some 2,000 years ago. And so do you. And so do I. Because as you know very well, this life that we live is a valley of many, many tears. So many difficulties. The race is agonizing. And the word comes to you and to me this morning. Run the race that is set before you. Let's hear this under the theme running the race running the race we'll see this in three points let's notice the race and then the encouragement and third the possibility the race the encouragement the possibility verse one speaks of a race that we run he says let us run with patience the race that is set before us. As I said a few moments ago, this is a metaphor, obviously. He's comparing the Christian life to a race that is run. These people that are written to here were obviously very familiar with that whole idea of running a race. They knew what that was like. You had back in these ancient days the Greek Olympics. You might have a miles-long marathon that is to be run. 
You might have shorter track races. So these people knew very well what was being referred to here, but now in a spiritual sense. And so do we. We're very familiar with what it means to run races. And so now he compares that to the Christian life. In this spiritual race, there are two main elements. Just like there are two main elements for earthly races, so also for the spiritual one. Number one, there is a track that is run upon, a way, a road. The track of the race is the Christian life. The starting line for that track is regeneration. When the Spirit of Jesus Christ causes you to be born again, gives you that spiritual life, he raises you up from death. Regeneration is the starting line. And the finish line is glory. But the Lord Jesus Christ takes you up into heaven to be with him there forever. I'd like you to notice about this track upon which we run, or our Christian life, that it has been laid out. That's what the end of verse 1 says. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's been designed, you might say. It's been laid or set out before us, and the one who has done that is God himself. Even before time, in eternity, in his eternal sovereign counsel, he planned all things, but he also planned what the racetrack would look like for your life. Every dip and thorn and mountaintop and valley and sharp turn has been determined by him from before the foundation of the world. He's laid out this racetrack. And already right there, beloved, there is so much comfort, isn't there? There are many things that happen in your life that surprise you. And if you would look back, especially some of us adults, on our life, we might say, I never thought that what's happening right now was going to be what it would be for me. I, I never would have anticipated this. And there are surprises. We never know what's, of course, coming in the future. But our God has laid it all out. And although we may be taken in surprise by something, he never is. He's determined it all. Not only is this track set down in eternity by God, but it's a track which is also very difficult. In fact, the Greek word for race is where we get our English word agony. If you were to read that Greek word out loud, then you would hear that word agony. 
And doesn't that communicate so clearly what this race is? The track upon which we run is very, very difficult. It's even agonizing. It's often, for the child of God, many, many miles long. It has thorns. It has dips. Like a runner in an earthly race, his legs feel like jelly and his lungs are burning and he has perspiration dripping down his brow and he feels hardly that he can put one foot in front of the other. Don't you feel that? Often? On this racetrack? And that's exactly why he talks about patience in verse 1. Running with patience. A steadfastness. Patience. Continue by the grace of God. Patience is his gift. Continuing to press on. Exactly because the racetrack is very, very hard and filled with many obstacles and many trials of this life. So as with any earthly race, also the spiritual one has two main elements. Number one, it has a track. The second main element of the spiritual race is that it has runners. Runners. If you look at the pronouns here in verse 1, and I'll emphasize them, it's talking about those who are sprinting down the track. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There are runners. The ones that the writer of the Hebrews was directing this to, as I said before, are these Christians in the ancient world who are tempted to forsake the race. They're being persecuted. They're tempted to revert back to Judaism and that whole bondage of works righteousness. And so he exhorts them. He's addressing them. But we can say more about these people who are in the race. They are the church. You notice that in verse 1, it, it talks collectively, doesn't it? A we and us. This isn't just a bunch of individuals that are sort of haphazardly here and there and there and there. This is a body, a collection of people that are running all together. And that's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. The church is the runner's. And already there, too, people of God, there's something very beautiful. You don't run alone. You don't live this Christian life all by yourself. There are others who are sprinting shoulder to shoulder and side by side with you. And who are those people? Here. You think, First Church, of your fellow members as also your fellow runners down the racetrack? You're never alone. We could say about those runners, not only that they're the church, but, and we mean the same thing here, 
They're the elect. You see, God has not only set down the racetrack from eternity, designing that racetrack in all of its particularities. He's done that. He's ordained that. But God has also, and this is the implication, he has also ordained, chosen in Jesus Christ from eternity and election, the runners on that racetrack as well. It's the elect. And we may also say about these runners that they're the church, that they're the elect, and here we're saying essentially the same thing. They're those to whom God has given faith. They have been made one with the Lord Jesus Christ as the branch is engrafted into the vine, and these runners have the life of Jesus Christ coursing through their spiritual veins, the strength to press forward. But there are also those for whom the activity of faith is true also, the activity that flows out of that bond. So that verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We'll come back to that later. But the runners are those who look to Jesus, trust in him as they go down this racetrack. The church, the elect, those who have been given the gift of faith. That's the runners. And now he says, he exhorts, that race, run it. Run that race that has been set before you. If you want to picture in your mind an illustration, think again of an earthly race. And here we don't have someone who is walking lazily as on a sunshine day by a river. We don't even have someone who's going at a light jog down the road, but someone who is at a dead out sprint pressing forward as fast as he can. He's sprinting. That's what we ought to think about when we think of running this race. Now, obviously, even the children here know that running the race, spiritually speaking, doesn't mean you go as fast as these physical legs can take you and you run to this place to another place. It's different. Running the spiritual race is living our lives by faith. I say that because, remember, our text comes right after Hebrews 11. And what is that phrase which repeats itself time and again? By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. These are saints like Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so on who were living their lives by faith, which simply means this. Everything they did and everywhere they went, they trusted in God. Faith is a conviction of spiritual things and of the promises of God, things that these eyes in your head cannot see. They live their lives with that conviction of things spiritual and assured of them. And so must we. 
running the race also means living in our lives in submission to the will of God. I say that because that too comes out of the chapter that comes right before. Let's take, for example, Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. We read about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Here's Moses, a boy. He's the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's living in Pharaoh's palace. He's got everything, you might say. Riches, treasures, and should he stay in the palace, he has a marvelous future full of opportunities educationally and so much more. Moses could have so much, and yet what did he do? He left that palace to be among the slaves, those Hebrew slaves on the outside, in the midst of all of their afflictions, that was submission to the will of God, even though that submission was very difficult for him. That's what running the race means for you and for me too. Submitting to God's will, even when it hurts. And so, you've made a vow in marriage. And things are getting a little bit tough. It's not easy to be faithful to that vow which you've made before the face of God. It requires a lot of sacrifice. Make vows at the baptism of our children and there are those days when they are not easy and home life is like a war for a little while and things are going sort of haywire. It's not good on this particular day. And yet, that vow I made and being faithful to that vow to instruct my children and discipline them and bring them up in the fear of the Lord, it's going to bring a lot of hardship in my life. It's going to be very difficult, but that's what running the race is. There's the perspiration, if you will. Christian school isn't cheap. The church budget and supporting the causes of the kingdom of God. And it may very well be that even the lion's share of my salary must go to these things. There's sacrifice there, submitting to the will of God, running the race. Running the race will mean, too, suffering persecution. And that comes out as well in Hebrews 11. Just take, for example, verse 26 about Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. I know it's not so bad for us right now. You might say that we receive soft persecution. It's there. It hurts in certain ways. How we may be excluded in the workplace, for example. It's going to become worse. When? We don't know, but it will. 
running the race. He exhorts us, run it, but he doesn't stop there. He tells us also the manner in which we are to sprint down this racetrack. Notice that in the middle of verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There are weights. A weight is anything that impedes or hinders your forward progress on this racetrack. A weight is anything that, as you hear in the word, weighs you down as you're running forward. If you were at a race, I'm talking about an earthly one now, and you're sitting in the stands and you see someone come up to the starting line with boots on and snow pants and a heavy winter coat, you would say to that person, what are you doing? You have to run a race. What are you doing with all this clothes and these boots on? It's going to weigh you down and you're not going to be able to run very fast. You have to take those things off. And so also spiritually, there are weights that hinder us and distract us from running as we ought. What is that weight for you? What is it right now for me too that may be hindering your forward progress? Is it the case with us, beloved, that our homes are becoming too worldly? And maybe not things that are wrong in and of themselves, but this earthly mindedness that plagues us and that washes like waves into our homes. What about that glowing rectangle in the pocket, our phones? How much time do I spend on my phone? What am I doing on my phone? Is this little, tiny technological device hindering me in my running? There are weights. There's a specific kind of weight that's also mentioned here in verse 1, and it's called the sin which doth so easily beset us. Besetting sin is something that slows us down, impedes us, or distracts us in our running. A besetting sin is literally a sin which encircles us. And so you have a, a spider web, silky, sticky, thick spider web in the corner of a room, and a fly comes and goes into that spider web. And what happens? That silk goes around and circles that fly. Every illustration, of course, breaks down a bit. But you understand, there are certain sins in our life that have the ability, especially 
to control to a certain degree our mind and our heart to encircle us. And we ought to ask ourselves that question too. What is the besetting sin in my life? And is it right now slowing down my sprinting? This must be put off. That's part of it. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Like that man who's at the starting line and he takes off the boots and throws them aside and takes off the snowed pants and sheds himself of that big winter coat, so also we must shed off that weight, renounce it, forsake it, toss it aside by the grace of God. Let us cast aside every weight and run the course before us with a wholehearted devotion and dedication empowered by Christ. We sure need encouragement in that, don't we? As agonizing as our life can sometimes be, That encouragement comes in part at the beginning of verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. These witnesses are the Old Testament saints referred to in chapter 11, like Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so on. Those are the witnesses. But the witnesses are also those believers throughout the ages who have already run the race and the Lord has taken them to glory. And that makes it very personal too. These witnesses may very well be a believing loved one that you have personally known, grandpa, grandma, father, mother, spouse, that has already run the race and has been taken up into heaven. They're called witnesses. Witnesses, and that for good reason. There is a misinterpretation of this text, and it goes this way, that these witnesses are people in heaven, and what they're doing is they're looking down on us and observing or witnessing us as we run this race. I say again, that's not a correct interpretation of the text. Rather, this. They're witnesses in this sense. We witness the godly example, testimony, life that they have left behind, and we are cheered by this testimony and encouraged in our race. They're called great cloud of witnesses just like a puffy white cloud in the sky contains millions and millions and millions of droplets of water and ice crystals and you might say it's just a whole mass of water droplets and ice crystals so also these witnesses are like a mass a cloud that surrounds us and you may very really say then that 
course, we're talking figuratively. It's like they are in a stadium in the stands all around us, this whole mass of witnesses as we are running on the track inside that stadium and we look up at them and we're encouraged and cheered by the example that they've left behind as we run our own race. And so here you are in your life. You're coming to a bend in the road and your future is very uncertain. It always is, of course. We never know what's coming the next second in our life ever. But there are some times in our life that things are very much up in the air. And we become a little bit anxious and fearful about the future. And as you come to that bend, you look. There's Abraham, as it were, up in those stands. You see his testimony as it's left on the page of Scripture in Hebrews 11. Abraham went about not knowing where God was leading him, and yet he walked by faith. Maybe for you, you're tempted at this point in your life to doubt the promises of God. And I think if we would all have confession hour with each other, then we would all have to confess that there are times, maybe fewer, maybe more, that we really struggled with God's promises and we're tempted to doubt them. But look, there's Sarah up there in the stadium, as it were. We're told in Hebrews 11 about her life and testimony that she judged God faithful who promised to give her seed. Then maybe you're at a point in the track where you are struggling now to put one foot in front of the other. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. This life is tough. The trials are many. And then you remember that spouse, that grandparent, that father, that mother, their godly example how they lived their lives, not perfectly, but they lived their lives by faith. They loved the Lord, and they've gone on to that better country. I'm cheered, cheered by that to keep on going. That great cloud of witnesses is so encouraging to us, in part because they've run the race before us. You know, sometimes... You and I can think to ourselves, I'm the first one to run this race. And this trial in my life is particular to me, and, and no one has struggled like I've had to struggle in this particular regard. But the fact is, although the saints in history and in more recent history perhaps have not had your very specific trial, in general they have. We're not the first ones to run this race and face its exhaustion and its dips and valleys and thorns and turns. They did too. And not only did they run the race before us, but the Lord has taken them to the finish line and they are now in glory unspeakable. And I think that's the most encouraging of all. This race 
seems to be lots of miles long in this life, almost never-ending sometimes. But I'm, by the grace of God, going to come to that finish line too. He's going to bring me there as he did them. And he's going to bring me to glory as he did them. We're encouraged by this great cloud of witnesses, but especially by Jesus himself and the race that he ran. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus ran a race. The starting line for him was the incarnation when the Son of God took to himself or assumed flesh. And all the way from there, even at Bethlehem, and in his boyhood years, and as an adolescent and a teenager and into his adult years, he ran down, ran down the racetrack. But he, under the wrath of God, poured out upon him for our sins that burning hot wrath of the Lord, his fierce anger. And Jesus' racetrack at the end brought him down into a deep, dark, gloomy valley the lowest point of which was the cross itself and the three hours of darkness on the cross, drinks the cup of the wrath of God down to its bitter dregs. Even physically we cannot comprehend the suffering, but especially that whole matter of the fierce anger of the Lord that came down upon him as the substitute, as the lamb that is incomprehensible to us, the agony, the difficulty, the pains of his race down in that valley. He experienced, says verse 2, shame. Shame is pain associated with guilt and humiliation. The shame that Jesus knew, of course, was not associated with his own guilt because he didn't have any of his own guilt. But the shame associated with the sins of his people that were imputed to him. Here's the sin bearer. They mock him. They take that crown of thorns and they press it on his head. They take away his garments and divide them so that it may very well have been that Jesus was hanging on the cross completely naked or very close to that. That's shame. Verse 2 says he endured the cross all his life long, never ran away from it, but was on a straight sprinting course toward that accursed tree, always toward it, never swerving. And even when he was hanging on that tree, 
He didn't come down. He refused to come down. He was patient in his suffering. He endured the cross. And even this, that it says he despised that shame of the cross. That means he thought very little of it. He disregarded it. What was that shame in that suffering after all? in comparison to the heavy weight of glory he was going to have when he crossed his finished line. There's no comparison there. What a glory. He thought little. He disregarded this suffering and this shame. Jesus pressed toward the goal. Look to that goal constantly. The goal which the Father had set before him, the finish line, glory, being exalted there, never became distracted. When Satan came to Jesus and tempted him at the beginning of his earthly ministry, one of the ways, if not the main way to think about that is the devil's trying to distract him. Jesus, you can go this way. You could go this way. You could have this or have that. Jesus resisted the devil. Undistracted, he went straight on and had his eye always on the goal, and he reached that goal. Text speaks of that. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He who suffered and was crucified arose again from the dead, ascended into heaven now crowned with glory and honor and majesty, authority and power. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. You sit down at a throne when you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that's what he is. And notice that. He sits. He's finished with his atoning suffering. He said it is finished at the end of his time on the cross. And now after that race, he sits in everlasting blissful rest. That's the finish line for Christ. And as I said, we're encouraged by him and the race he ran. Be careful here. The race Jesus ran is different than ours. We don't Come under the wrath of God for our sins, and that's our great comfort. We don't have atoning sufferings. There's a very important difference between the races. But we may say Jesus experienced agony, and in certain respects, so do we. He kept his eye on the goal, as we must. And the end for him was glory, as it will be for you and me. That's the one to whom we look. That's our strength, our possibility to run the race. When I was in, cr in cross country in high school, we were told by our coach, don't look down, don't look at yourself, don't look here or there at things on the side, look ahead, look at the finish line. And that too spiritually. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, verse 2 says, that's the looking of faith, the activity 
of faith. And it says, he's the author of that. By his own race that he ran, he purchased for us this faith. He earned it. And by his spirit, he enters into us and he works that faith and he week by week strengthens that faith. He's the author, all right. He's the finisher of that faith too. He brings it to the goal. And he does that, beloved, when he makes our faith to be sight. Won't that be a day when the Lord brings you across the finish line and you see Jesus face to face in all his glory and beauty and riches? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. He's the finisher of our faith. Run, looking to him, not here, not here or here. You don't have any strength in yourself. You're powerless to cast off these weights of yourself. Your strength, your power is in Jesus alone who abundantly provides all the grace that we need press on. Let us look to him, not with a few glances now and again, but let us run the entirety of our race with the eye of faith steadily on him. Amen. Strengthen us, Heavenly Father, and press forward in this life We thank Thee for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us to lift up the eye of faith to Him and to Him alone and to find in Him the power that we need to continue on. Grant to us, Lord, faithfulness in our lives. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, too, of our distractions and our worldly-mindedness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.